Pastor Xavier Reese and the unchangeable simple truth of God's Word. You have to line your conscience up with the Word of God, recalibrate. If you're going down the freeways and a policeman pulls you over and gives you a ticket for speeding, you were going 75. You say, no, my speedometer says 65. And you are sincere. And then you take your car to the garage and you find out that it needed to be recalibrated. And you were sincere, but you were sincerely wrong. And so my conscience needs to be recalibrated to the Word of God. Welcome to Simple Truths, the daily half-hour study of God's Word with Xavier Reese, Senior Pastor of Calvary Chapel of Pasadena, California. The Sinner's Prayer, the Walk to the Altar, the New Life in Christ, a truly joyous occasion. But according to Pastor Xavier, this is where the journey begins, not ends. Open your Bible, if it's handy, to the book of Hebrews as we join him for today's Simple Truths study, The Believer's Life in Christ. We come to the practical section of the epistle of Hebrews from chapter 1019 all the way to 1325. Throughout the New Testament, God always tells us what he has done for us before he tells us what he wants us to do. So we've looked at what God has done through the person of Christ in chapter 1 all the way to chapter 4 verse 13. We've seen what God has done through the work of Christ from chapter 4 verse 14 to chapter 10 verse 18. And so now comes the practical, where the rubber meets the road. The key theme is in Christ. Christ, in Him. That's the key of Ephesians, in Christ. Never apart from Christ, but always in Christ, looking to Him. So whenever Christianity is presented or lived out as some mere religious norm for morals or for ethics that really has no real application to life, it's just something you hear and something you study and something you put in your brain. Then a self-deception. It must always transform me. It must make me more like Christ. There must be a pressing forward. Anything short of that is self-deception. Very important. So Christianity, as you know, is unique from any other religion or cults in that it allows an individual to experience God personally in his everyday situations and problems, to be able to draw from him that we can look to him and he can enable us to do the work. It's great to know about the person of Christ. It's great to believe and understand the work of Christ, but it is essential that we believe to apply it to our lives in Christ. If there's no application, then it's absolutely Worthless. It's just academics. And so what we want to do is um, look to the new life of the believer in Christ, which is characterized by three things here from verse uh, 19 to um, 31. Let me um, read for us here, beginning verse 19 of chapter 10. He says, Therefore, brethren, having boldness to enter the holiest by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way, which he consecrated for us through the veil, that is his flesh, and having a high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promises faithful. And let us consider one another in order to stir up love and good works, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as it is the manner of some, but exhorting one another and so much more as you see the day approaching. For if we sin willfully, 
After we have received the knowledge of the truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins, but a certain fearful expectation of judgment and fire indignation which will devour the adversaries. Anyone who has rejected Moses' law died without mercy on the testimony of two or three witnesses of how much worse punishment do you suppose will be thought worthy who has trampled the Son of God underfoot, counted the blood of the covenant by which he was sanctified, a common thing, and insulted the Spirit of grace. For we know him who said, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, saith the Lord. And again, the Lord will judge his people. It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. And so, the three characteristics here of the believer's life in Christ, entering the practical section. First of all, verse 19 through 21, the believer's privilege in Christ. Second, in verse 22 through 25, we see the believer's practice in Christ. And then verse 26 to 31, you have the believer's precaution in Christ. And so he begins with the believer's privilege in Christ. He's given us all kinds of stuff about the person and the work of Christ. But notice here in verse 19, the Christian has access to God. That's his first privilege that he moves into the practical section. This is the conclusion of all that he has said in the preceding chapters. The word therefore means conclusion. This is the sum total of everything. The one being addressed is who? Brethren, Christians, don't let anybody tell you that the book of Hebrews is not written to Christians. Don't let anybody tell you that what is being warned against in Hebrews cannot happen today. It is valid today for anyone who has accepted Christ. It's by the sacrifice of Christ, not animal sacrifice, as he has laid out for us very clearly in the preceding chapters. He's speaking to Jews. Notice not only to enter the Holy of Holies, having access to God, but to enter in with boldness. And the word boldness means literally freedom of speech, without any fear or unreservation of entering in. Confident. It's used in chapter 3, verse 6, 4.16, here, and 10.35. It's a key word. Unreservedness based on what Christ has done for me. Unreservedness, in fact, because he is there for me. He is my high priest, as we're going to see. He's the one that has opened those doors. He's the one that's representing me. My confidence is in him and him alone. The freedom to speak to God, to be able to enter in, is not by anything I have done or can do. It's based on what Jesus has done. This is the whole basis of Hebrews. What he has done for sinful man, because sinful man cannot do that for himself. Christ is the merciful high priest, able to strengthen the believer, as he's told us already. Christ was tempted in every way as we are, but yet without sin. So he can be compassionate towards us. He's the God-man. He's our high priest seated where? At the right hand of God. He opens up this, the letter with that. And he infers it throughout the place of power and authority. So not only to enter the Holy of Holies, in contrast to the high priest that only went in once a year, no Jew ever understood or knew what was inside, only the high priest, we enter in, not only to the Holy of Holies, but with boldness, and also to enter in by what? The token is the blood of Jesus. Nothing else. Not good works, not how bright we are, but by the blood of Christ. We have not been redeemed by the blood of bulls and goats, but by the precious blood of Jesus Christ, 1 Peter 1.19 tells us. The author has told us over and over again, the blood of bulls and goats were only shadows of things to come. In fact, chapter 10, verse 1 summarizes that again. 
Blood is an interesting um, substance. There's five quarts uh, in a normal body. It is the only fluid that reaches every part of your body. The red cells carry fuel, as you know, to the cells. The white blood cells combat disease, as you know, an infection with antibodies or antitoxins. And they produce an immune effect in your body. And they can multiply two to three times immediately whenever it's needed to fight infection. And also that involves platelets for the clotting of your blood. Otherwise, you would bleed to death. Blood's an interesting substance. It's interesting that the blood of a new baby is not derived from the mother, but it's produced within the body of the baby. The blood from the mother and the child never interchanges. That's why the blood of Jesus Christ was pure. <laughs> Verse 20, the second privilege is the Christian has knowledge of the way to God. This way to God is like no other one. It is said to be by the new and living way. This was God's goal. Now, the good news. The word new means lately, slaughtered, or freshly killed, ever efficient. Regardless of the years when this epistle was written later, it was just like if it had just been sacrificed. It wasn't devalued. Even today after those years, it is recognized efficient. It is still for us today. Living means to live or have breath. And it's not that he gives to us the focus here, but that he is the source of it. He is the new and living way. He is the only source of eternal life. Nobody else can have eternal life apart from him. He is the very source. Notice it is said to be the only way. The word way means road. Vincent, the Greek scholar, puts it this way. Not in contrast to the old, but no other way. Jesus said in John 14, 6, I'm the way, the truth, the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. People get upset. That's too narrow. I'm sorry. It's the only way. I don't think you're going to argue with somebody who's trying to rescue you, and they got to pull you up by your hair. You say, oh, you can't do that. Well, it's the only way or you die. Okay, pull it. I guarantee you'll say that. You can't sit there and argue. When it's the only way, whatever it is that has to be done, you say, all right. The idea being of how a person can know that they are on the right road once and for all is a text that will give men access to God. You and I know the way. That's the second privilege. We can tell people. We're ambassadors. I mean, there's opportunities everywhere. People are lost. People think they know the way. They don't know anything. Remember, you were there. I was there. We thought we were cool, bad, and wise. We were dead and dumb and lost. <laughs> we have the answer. What a privilege. This way is credited to Jesus. He is reflexive back to verse 19. He, Jesus. The sacrifice of Jesus provided his blood, thereby consecrating what? The way for us. Not for himself, for us. And so the barrier removed, prepared the way. Notice he went through the veil. The veil between the holy of holies and the holy places we've looked at before. Jesus removed it. This separation between God and man because he now sits in the heavenly sanctuary, not the earthly one. There's no more veil. As you know, the veil was rent from the top to the bottom when he said it is finished on the cross. Not, not only the high priest, but anybody can come in who comes through Jesus Christ. 
The Holy Spirit is the one who has given us this interpretation in chapter 9, verse 8. He's going to give us interpretation of the scripture again. It's the Holy Spirit who gives the understanding. It's the Holy Spirit who turns on the light. He's the one that interprets the scriptures, not ourselves. And so Jesus removed the veil through his humanity, his flesh. He's already told us that in chapter 2, 14 and chapter 5, verse 7. He came as a last Adam to undo the thing in the wrong of the first Adam, 1 Corinthians 15, 45. The first Adam was made a living soul. The last Adam, Jesus, was a quickening spirit. And so he died for our sins. He died in our place, even as Hebrews 2, 9 says, but we see Jesus who was made a little lower than the angels for the suffering of death, crowned with glory and honor, that he, by the grace of God, might taste death for everyone. I presume you, you qualify. Everyone. It's all. He died for all. And anybody who hears the gospel can respond if they choose to be saved by the grace of God. And therefore, when he came into the world, he said, sacrifice and offerings you did not desire, but a body as you prepare for me. He tells us in chapter 10, verse 5. A human body, the incarnation. In fact, the word right here that uh, he refers to his flesh was torn and pierced for us. And as I said, the veil was rent from the top to the bottom, making access for man. He's our high priest. He's entered through the veil. And so his flesh was the fulfillment. The veil was a type. His flesh was the anti-type, the fulfillment. And that's why it rent. But notice thirdly here in verse 21, that the Christian has a high priest. This is another privilege that he mentions here. The believer has a valid mediator between God and man. First uh, Timothy 2.5, we've gone over it. One mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus. Nobody else, not Mary, not a saint, not you, not your wife, nobody. Only Jesus Christ. The believer can no longer say that he has no daysman or umpire like Job 9.33. Jesus is the answer to Job's problem. Hebrews 2.10 says, For it was fitting for him, for whom are all things, and by whom are all things, in bringing many sons to glory, to make the captain of their salvation perfect through sufferings. He suffered for me, to pay the price for me. And therefore, he's a forerunner. He has entered for us, even Jesus, having become high priest forever according to the order of who? Melchizedek, Hebrews 6.20. Not Aaron, but Melchizedek. And so whoever lives to make intercession according to Hebrews 7.25 for us. Notice a believer is one identified with the house of God. He's talking to Christians. The term is synonymous with the church. But if I am delayed, Paul says as he speaks to Timothy in 1 Timothy 3.15, I write so that you may know how you ought to conduct yourself in the house of God, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and ground of the church, 1 Timothy 3.15. And so he uses this synonymous, the house of God and the church, the people, those who are redeemed, those who are born again. So the term speaks of all who belong to Christ through faith in his person and the work for redemption. At John Hopkins University, medical researchers uh, have discovered what the uh, Presbyterian minister's life insurance fund had already known for more than two centuries. 
It is this, listen, attending church is good for your health. The risk of fatal heart disease is almost twice as high for the non-churchgoer than for men who attend once a week or more, according to the study made by Dr. George W. Comstock of the University Department of Epidemiology. The doctor also observed that the clean life associated with regular churchgoing appears to be uh, statistically related to a lower incidence of other major diseases, adding that going to church is a very favorable input. <laughs> what a coincidence. You know, if I would have lived my life the last 30 years, like I lived in the first 24, boy, your pastor would be dead or pretty bad shape. There's just an automatic benefit you have peace, you have joy, you're not doing the things you shouldn't be doing, you don't have to hide, you don't have to have a guilty conscience, you can enjoy life. That affects you automatically health-wise, sanity-wise. <laughs> Every believer having access to God is responsible for his or her own life. You can't blame anybody. Philippians chapter 3, verse 12 through 14 says this, not that I have already attained or am already perfected, but I press on that I may lay hold for what? For that for which Christ Jesus has also laid hold on me. That's a perspective. I haven't attained. I got to keep pressing forward, okay? There's a lot more ahead. Then the next verse, verse 13, gives us the principle. Brethren, I do not count myself to have apprehended, but one thing I do, forgetting those things that are behind and reaching forward to those things that are ahead. The principle is look forward. Not backwards. And then the next verse, verse 14, gives you the passion. I press towards the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. There's my passion. Christ Jesus, I press forward. I'm responsible for that. You're responsible. You can't blame your pastor. You can't blame your wife. You can't blame the dog. You can't blame nobody. You are responsible as a Christian to do this. Every believer is an ambassador for Christ, as I've shared. We know the word of God. We know the way to God. We know the high priest of God. So we're to sanctify the Lord God in our hearts and always be ready to give an answer or defense to everyone who asks as a reason of hope with meekness and fear. 1 Peter 3.15. We have the answers. We can clearly and simply share with people. Jesus is the way. This is why. He died in your place. He became man. He took your place. We have the answers. We're his ambassadors. And so every believer has Jesus as his or her high priest. And we have access to him. Hebrews 4.16. Let us therefore come boldly before the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace and help in what? In time of need. We can come at any time. Hebrews 8, 1. Now this is the main point of the things we have saying. We have such a high priest who is seated at the right hand of the throne of the majesty in the heavens. And so Jesus is our hope. He's our anchor of the soul, both steadfast and sure, because he's entered behind the veil for us, Hebrews 6, 19 says. And he's there. And so the believer's privilege in Christ is in having access to God, knowing the way, and having a high priest. That's our privilege. We don't deserve it. We didn't earn it. We didn't do anything for it. It's a privilege. 
And if you recognize the privilege, then you don't abuse it. And you walk humbly. Nothing else you can do. And notice secondly, the second characteristic of in Christ is the believer's practice in Christ. In verse 22 through 25. In verse 22, the Christian is to draw near to God, expressing faith. The command is an imperative, not a suggestion. The tense is present. Let us continue, and it's addressed to who? Believers. Paul includes himself, us. He's addressing believers. The matter is with what? A true heart. The word true means genuine, opposed to hypocritical or deceitful. The heart, cardia, is used to denote the center of the reality of a person in thought and passion and desires, who you really are, not what you want people to think you are but who God knows you are. The fact that people are sincere does not mean that their heart is true. There are many sincere people that are just deceived. Sincerity is never the, the standard for truth. Sincerity is just sincerity. And you can be sincerely wrong. Most people are. You can be on the road and think you're on your way to your vacation and you've missed the off-ramp 20 miles back. And you can be sincere in that you think you're right, but let me tell you, you're not on the right road. <laughs> Sincerity doesn't make it true. Notice the attitude is to be in full assurance of faith. Full assurance, the phrase means firm conviction, a strong confidence. It parallels the word boldness in verse 19. Full assurance, boldness. In what Jesus did, not in arrogance, this strong confidence is of faith. And the word means conviction of the truth, what God has revealed about the person and the work of Christ. That's where our confidence, that's where our assurance lies. Notice the reason is due to the new birth. Having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience. The heart of man is evil, as you know, desperately wicked, Jeremiah says. And when I repent, then God forgives me of my sins. My conscience is eased. It's sprinkled. It means clean, to be purified. And so the purging of our hearts was accompanied by the purging of our conscience. Our conscience was fully aware of the evil deeds, the thoughts, the words, the things we've done. And when Christ forgave me, my conscience was eased. I remember, but the blood of Christ has cleansed me from all sin. And he's changed me and transformed me. And I don't live there anymore. I don't practice those things anymore. And so I don't have to hide. I don't have to lie. I can look to the Lord. As you know, the conscience means with knowledge, the ability to distinguish between right and wrong. But your conscience cannot lead you in life. It's not sufficient because it can be callous, it can be seared, it can be sinned against, many different things. And so you have to line your conscience up with the Word of God, recalibrate. If you're going down the freeway this morning when you go home and a policeman pulls you over and, and he says, uh, I'm going to give you a ticket for speeding, you were going 75. You say, no, my speed armor says 65. And you are sincere. And you saw it says 65. And then you take your car to the garage and you find out that it needed to be recalibrated because you changed the tires to bigger tires and that changed the calibration of the speedometer. Now you were sincere, but you were sincerely wrong. <laughs> and it needed to be recalibrated again. And so my conscience needs to be recalibrated to the Word of God. There are a lot of people in hell with good intentions. Good intentions don't mean anything. We have to align ourselves with the Word of God. 
Pastor Xavier Reese and the one and only map to heaven. And as always, you can hear this message again, if you like, online anytime by selecting today's date at the radio listings link at calvarychapelpasadena.com. But there's more to today's study coming next time right here as well. If you won't be able to join in, you can always pick up a copy of this message on CD for just $4. And the title to ask for is The Believer's Life in Christ. And sharing this CD is a great way to introduce your friends to this ministry. Once again, the title to ask for is The Believer's Life in Christ. Or simply mention today's date. You can request your copy by writing Simple Truths. 2200 East Colorado Boulevard, Pasadena, California, 91107. Or to make your request by phone, call 800-926-1485. Again, that's 800-926-1485. Or the address once again is Simple Truths, 2200 East Colorado Boulevard, Pasadena, California, 91107. And it's helpful when you mention the call letters of this station when you get in touch. This is one way we track the effectiveness of this ministry in your area. How important is church? Find out more when you join Pastor Xavier Reese for the next edition of Simple Truths. Don't miss it. Simple Truths with Pastor Xavier Reese, a daily half-hour broadcast, is a radio ministry of Calvary Chapel of Pasadena, California. www.calvarychapelpasadena.com